let's open your Bible tonight. We'll pray about these in the service. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're going to start, and uh, we'll move on into uh, chapter 5. We'll have our uh, finance business meeting tonight, congregational meeting after the service, after prayer time tonight. And uh, it's good to see everybody. Hope everyone is well. Good. Everybody got a uh, note that you can follow along? If you don't, just raise your hand. Nathan will get you one, but I think he's probably already done it. Um, uh, I've lost Nathan. Where is Nathan? So, <laughs> that's funny. All right, maybe somebody got him. That's his wife who said that. All right, maybe somebody got him. Uh, if you don't have one, they're right outside on the podium, outside the auditorium, all right? Uh, we, we were in 1 Thessalonians 4 as we continue our journey through this letter, and uh, we were dealing with uh, the rapture of the church, even so come Lord Jesus last week. I, I want to, uh, it, it goes on into chapter 5, and so we're going to review a little bit. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago when we were there. And uh, so we're going to pick up chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, we'll read down to chapter 5, verse 11 tonight. So follow along with me, and uh, you can follow along with your notes tonight, and uh, uh, pray it'll be a help to you. But he says, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 9 again. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Let's pray. Father, we're in the Word tonight, and uh, we're looking here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, and we're getting ready to finish up Paul's first written letter. And uh, I pray tonight that you will edify your church and uh, speak to the believers tonight. If there's one here that don't know Christ as their Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal your truth to them tonight uh, with an understanding of their great need. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, meet with us and help us and as we get in the scriptures and we look at some things and really just scratch the surface of uh, a very important topic, Lord, and I pray that uh, you'll give us a spirit of learning, uh, a spirit of uh, willingness, Father, to grow in our faith, and uh, Lord, that uh, you would encourage us tonight. Not, uh, don't let us be discouraged. Uh, there's no reason for that because of your goodness to us. I pray for our children tonight uh, as they've been ministered to in Awana, and uh, Lord, they're uh, they've got a few more weeks left in that, and they're winding down. And I pray for their teachers and everyone involved with them. I pray for our teenagers tonight who are gathered in here with us this evening. May you give them a heart and willingness to learn something valuable uh, for the, from the Word of God tonight. Lord, I pray that we're not distracted upon lesser things. But, Father, that our faith is refreshed and renewed and God, that you move us forward because of all that you have done for us as we see in this passage here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I cannot begin this lesson tonight without asking you the personal question, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's a, that's a, that's a personal decision, isn't it? That's something that everybody can look at a person and say, well, I think they're saved. Or I might say, well, I, there's no way they're saved. Uh, but I, don't, I, can't, I can't really see into a person's heart. You can't see into my heart. Uh, but every person needs to know that, they, that they're born again. Every person needs to know that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, have, have you realized that apart from the faith in Christ? atonement for your sins upon the cross that you and I deserve to spend eternity separated from God to eternal suffering in the lake of fire. That is what lies before every person. Every person. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. As Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about us being eternally separated from God. And as we compare Scripture with Scripture, that separation is not just being apart. It's God in all of his glory in heaven and every person who rejects him in all of his sin and all of his unrighteousness receiving the wrath of God in a lake of fire for all of eternity. We all get that? The only thing that... that prevents that from happening in our life is faith in what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross of Calvary. 
Have you taken so seriously your, your desperate need to be saved that you repented of your sins and called upon the Lord to deliver you from your condemnation? Every person has to realize that they are a sinner, that they are condemned to death, that they are condemned to be apart from God. And we have to realize at some point that our sin, our sin, our sin, our choice is what separates us from God. And because of that, if we do not call upon the Lord to deliver us, to save us, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in desperation, realizing we could never get to ourselves, we could never earn it, we could never do good enough, our sin separates us from the Lord. We can never be saved. We have to be able to get to a place that we confess Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. He is the only way. I want you to see in your notes what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. There's a very important reason I'm asking this question, and you'll understand it as we move forward in tonight's lesson. Jesus said, we know what he said in verse 16, and we ought to commit verses 17 and 18 to heart as well. For Jesus said, for God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Our judicial system says that every man is, is innocent until proven guilty, right? But that is not so in God's judicial system. In God's judicial system, we are all guilty. We are all as sinners condemned to death, condemned to hell. The only thing that saves us is our faith in Jesus Christ. He that believeth on him is not condemned because he hath not believed in the name, or he is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John concluded this chapter with a dividing declaration in verse number 36. He says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That is, that is division in itself. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. But if you choose not to believe it, not only will you not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon you. And that's what really that's some things that we're going to be talking about tonight. What we do with Jesus Christ is the dividing line between the one who enjoys the righteousness of God. You see that in your notes. It is the dividing line between the one who enjoys the righteousness of God that has been imputed unto our account because of our faith in Christ, and the one who experiences the wrath of God. It is what we do with Jesus. The most important question ever asked is, what must I do to be saved? Right? It's the most important question ever asked. What is it that I, what must I do to be saved? Pilate asked the question, what am I to do with Jesus Christ? It's a great question. 
It's the question that the Philippian jailer proposed to Paul and Silas after he had brought them out from their prison cell. And what he heard and how he responded changes eternity. Look there in Acts 16, beginning in verse 30 in your notes. And, he, and, and the Bible says, speaking of the jailer, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Aren't you glad it's just that simple? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Am I speaking to people who are alive tonight? I want you adults to teach our teenagers how to have church. Amen? All right, let's teach them how to have church tonight. Listen, it is that wonderful and that simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in the house. He says in verse 32, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He sat them down, okay, uh, the jailer, I'm going to picture, this is how I picture it. He took them home. He got all of his family. He got all of his children. I always picture it like my family. I go home. I get my wife out of bed. I get my five children out of bed. I sit them down in the living room, and I say, Preacher, teach us, tell us how to be saved. And if we understand what Paul preaches, as we have read throughout the book of Acts and what we read in his epistles, he simply delivers the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And it says in verse 33, we see their response. He took them, talking about the jailer, he took the preachers the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Remember, they, they received 39 stripes on their back because they were delivered to his prison cell. He washed their stripes. The Bible says that he followed that up with baptism. He was baptized. And not just him, but he and all his straightway. He and all his family got saved that night. Talk about a, talk about a big change, John. Just a few hours earlier, that dude was about to kill himself. Right? He was about to kill himself. About to take the sword. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. And so we see that he was delivered, delivered. The jailer and his family heard the word. They repented, he repented of his sins as evidenced in washing the stripes that he was responsible for giving. He had beaten an innocent man. And so he, re, he had remorse over that. He repented of that. And so before he, before he even got baptized, he washed the sins or the, the stripes, he washed the blood stains, he washed the scars of those that he had, had beaten. He was saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he publicly professed his faith, and his family publicly professed their faith through baptism. And the, that morning, he rejoiced over the conversion of his entire house in verse 34. I have different life verses that matter to me. You know about Joshua 1.9. Um, you know how important that is. You know, you know right there about uh, 2 Kings 19, verse 19. That's an important verse of Scripture. Acts, as, a, as a family, Acts 16.34 has always been my verse. Because it says, And when, when the Father, when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced 
believing in God with all his house. If all your family is saved, you've got a reason to rejoice. Amen? And so we, we have to ask ourselves tonight, do, do I have the same reason to rejoice? Does my entire house have a reason to rejoice? When you, when you sat down with everyone at Easter, were you sitting down with a household of people who could rejoice because everyone's believing? If not, we ought to be some burdened individuals tonight. Amen? We ought, to, we ought to be very quick tonight to hit our knees in prayer, praying for those individuals that don't know Jesus as their Savior. The last time we were in this book, we wrapped up in chapter 4 with, uh, with the next major prophetic event, and that is the rapture of the church. And according to verse 14, chapter 4 and verse 14, I want you to see there that the prerequisite for being a part of the rapture is faith in the gospel. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, let me be very, very clear here, moving forward. One day, the trumpet is going to sound. And every person who is saved is going to be caught out of this world. Um, I, I've, I've seen t-shirts. Somebody says, in, in case of the rapture, you can have my shirt. Because uh, you're going to lose it, right? Uh, everything's going to change. I, I mean, I'm talking about chaos on earth. I mean, airplanes, cars are suddenly going to not have a driver. Don't be in an airplane if you're lost. Don't fly in an airplane if you're lost. Uh, because if that pilot's saved, you're going to be in an unmanned airplane. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things that's going to happen. Now, now, here's the thing. The way to be a part of the rapture of the church and being called up out of here... You've got to believe in the, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the prerequisite. If you believe that, you're out of here. If not, what, I have, what else I have to preach tonight is going to apply to you. And I don't know what you're waiting on to get saved. But you do not want to face the wrath of God. Now... In his book, Understanding the Times, Paul Chappell lists six important facts about the rapture for believers. I thought they were pretty good. I wanted to give it to you tonight. One by way of um, uh, just looking back over what we looked at a couple of weeks ago and for others who are hearing it for the first time. And the first is this, the Lord will return. You got a blank there. The Lord will return. Okay? Jesus is coming back. That is a promise made by Jesus Christ. He told his disciples before, before he went to Calvary, John 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus made a promise. I will come again. It's also a promise delivered by the angels. Because in Acts chapter 1, right after he delivered the, uh, I would say the, great, the Acts version of the Great Commission, where he says you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be Witnesses unto me, you'll have power to be witnesses unto me in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. 
Uh, he's, in verse number 9, he, he ascends up to heaven. And uh, it says in Acts 1 verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He physically went up. He will physically return. That's a promise delivered by, made by Christ and a promise delivered by the angels. Then you'll see, secondly, we'll hear the voice, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. You'll hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Look what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. That's going to be a heavenly sound when you hear that trumpet. Amen? I remember one time I was taking a nap, and uh, this was years ago, years ago, before they had cell phones. Um, and you had one of those clock radios, right? And you set an alarm, and, and it played music, right? It played something, whatever station you had it on. And uh, uh, when, I, when I laid down, everybody was in the house. But when I woke up, I woke up to some trumpet playing. And it startled me, and I woke up. And the house was quiet, and that's the first thing I thought of, John. I hope I didn't miss that trumpet, right? That's what I thought of, all right? Trumpet will sound. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 15 in a minute. The thirdly, the dead in Christ shall rise. The dead in Christ shall rise. He goes on to say in verse 16, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That is those who know Jesus Christ as Savior but have already died. We've just buried some recently, okay? They're, they've been put in the ground. They are, they're, they're dead in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When a person dies, Carson, when a person dies... Uh, we go to the funeral home and we see their body. Uh, they're they placed in that coffin. They, we go to the graveside. They're put in the ground. Their body is laid to rest, but their soul and spirit are no longer there. Who you know as your loved one, whoever it is you've lost, Todd, whoever it is, you may see their body, but that's not them. That might be what you remember them looking like, but who they are is always right here, Right? And, and that who they are, that soul and that spirit has gone to be with Jesus. And uh, when, during the rapture, the Bible says that their soul and spirit will return with Christ to be reunited with their new and glorious body. Uh, and, and then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed all right fourthly christians christians will be called up christians will be caught up verse 17 then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them the clouds the latin word for caught up is rapturo from which we get the word rapture i went into that last time the word rapture is not in the bible but it don't mean it's teachings not in the bible it we're caught up together with them we're the, 
those of us who are still alive goes up with those, the dead who have been raised, and we go together with them in the clouds. Fifthly, we will meet the Lord in the air. Verse 17, we'll meet the Lord in the air. Uh, he says, then, which we are, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Eventually, we will return to the earth with the Lord, but for now we go to meet him in the air because something else that we will talk about in a moment must happen next. And then sixthly, we will ever be with the Lord. We'll ever be with the Lord. He says it in verse 17, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. For the rest of eternity, we will be with Jesus Christ. We'll instantly be in the presence of Jesus. Now, Paul, he closes out chapter 4 and verse 18, instructing the believers to comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. And as we move into chapter 5, I want you to look down at verse 11. Because he mentions in verse 11 that he has some more comforting words to share in the previous 10 verses. He says, verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So what he's got to say in verses 1 through 10 is meant to be comforting to us. And I like to be comforted, don't you? I like to be encouraged. I like, I like it when somebody has something positive to say. Um, I, uh, I'm usually pretty hard on myself. I usually beat myself up. I always want to be better. I always want to do better. So sometimes I discourage myself. You ever do that? I like it when somebody comes along and they got something positive to say, right? And I always try to find something good that people are doing rather than always focus on the negative that they're doing. So what he has to teach us in the 10 verses is something that will comfort us. Now let me set it up by giving you this illustration. I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was on my own when I was 19 years old. I was uh, staying, at that time, I was now in church, and uh, the church we were in was out in the country. It, uh, it was kind of, uh, there were trees on, one, on both sides of it. It was kind of down off of the road a little bit, and uh, evidently it was a good place for people to rob and steal, uh, because our church had a bad habit of people breaking in and stealing stuff. They'd get our sound equipment, different things. And so they decided that they were going to get a mobile home, a little small, very small mobile home. They put on the property. I moved in. I became the security guard at 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I stayed there. I took care of the, I took care of the facilities. I, I did a number of different things there at the church when I was 19 and taking care of uh, all the things that were going on there and just have somebody present there. I worked construction at that time, and uh, I got home. It was in the winter time, so you know how it is. It gets dark very early. I was very tired and uh, decided when you live by yourself, and uh, at that time I had lost all my friends because now I'm living for Jesus, and they didn't want to live for Jesus. And so I'm trying to make new friends, but everybody's kind of got their eye on me trying to figure me out too, right? How, how, how serious is this guy? And, uh, and so I am uh, just kind of quiet, and I have nothing else to do. I'm tired. I've ate my frozen pizza for tonight, and I decide I'm, I'm just going to lay down and go to bed for a while, early. And uh, so I did. And uh, 
suddenly I was, woke, I was awakened to a noise. And at that time, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just older and I don't care anymore. But I don't get as scared as I used to, to a noise. But then, I certainly did. And I woke up and heard a noise. And I looked out my blinds. I slightly raised my blinds. And there was a dude outside my house with a ski mask on. Panic, brother. Panic. Scared me. Uh, I'm at a place that's known for people breaking in. It's very dark. And, and it looks like I'm not home. I don't even know what time it is. I don't know how long I slept. It turns out it was about 11 o'clock at night. And there's, that, there's that guy... I guess it's a guy, somebody outside my house, walking around my house with a ski mask on. I heard them at my back, in the back of the house. I didn't have a back window, had a front window. So I was trying to see if a car was out there. There was no car, just this guy. Well, I'm there by myself. And so um, I called somebody because I didn't want to go out there by myself and get killed or get hurt and nobody know what's going on. So I called my dad and uh, I let him know. I said, I got somebody out my house, outside my house with a ski mask on. And my dad was like, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And he probably got there in 10 minutes. And uh, I, by the time I looked out there, I didn't see anybody, but I didn't go out and investigate too much by myself. So when he got there, he rode around with his headlights and uh, didn't see anybody. And uh, he asked if I was all right. I said, yeah, I'm all right. He says, you want to come home with me? And I said, no, I'm a big boy, Dad. <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to stay right here. And, and uh, I said, I appreciate you coming up and, and uh, just getting my back for me. A uh, couple of days later, I run into this guy that I went to high school with. He run out of gas, and he come to my house hoping I had some gas. He says he knocked on my door. I didn't come to the door. I said, you dummy, I was asleep. And I said, don't ever come to my door with a ski mask on your face. I said, you're, you're lucky you didn't get shot. And uh, so that's what he was doing. He thought I wasn't there, so he went around back and hoping, hoping he could find a gas tank. So that's what it was. I set this up because nobody wants to be awakened to a potential thief in your house. Amen? And it's one thing to be sitting up watching for him. It's a completely different thing when he shows up and you're not, you have no idea. You're sound asleep. You get here to chapter 5. It seems that Paul opens his chapter responding to the question that Christians have begged to be answered for years. Well, what question is that? Well, if Jesus is going to return, when's he going to return? When's the Lord coming back? I remember telling somebody, somebody close to me actually, somebody very close to me, and I said, you believe Jesus is going to come back? And he said, no, Christian. He said, no, I don't believe that. And I said, well, the Bible says he's coming back. He says, I've heard that my whole life. 
I don't believe he's coming back. Somebody very close to me said that. When will Jesus return? Well, there have been many who have proposed what they considered an educated guess. We've all seen them. Uh, years ago, I was working at Kroger on a night shift, and it was at a time where somebody said the, Jesus is coming back on this date, and that kid was scared to death, and he kept coming to me. You think that's true? And I said, the Bible says nobody knows. I don't know. He could come. I said, he might come right now. I don't know. I said, but the Bible says nobody knows. I said, that guy don't know. He don't know. I said, but the main question here is, why are you so scared? I said, because if Jesus comes back, it's, that's no big deal to me. That's a good thing. But why are you so scared about it? And so I had the opportunity to present him the gospel. Paul reminds them in verse 1, look with me. But of the times and seasons, brethren... You have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We don't know when the Lord's coming back. We don't know. It's a thief in the night. We are to be looking for the blessed hope, but we don't know when it's going to be. We can be expecting it, anticipating it, but we don't know exactly when. So the question is, as we move forward, what, is, what exactly is the day of the Lord? What is the day of the Lord he's talking about? Times and seasons, brethren, remember, that's important, verse 1. He's writing to the brethren, to believers. He says, you, don't need that I, you have no need that I write unto you. You know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We can see, we can see different things. We can see signs. We can tell when the seasons are changing. We can, we can see different signs, but we don't know exactly when it's going to be. No man knows. But when is, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is a time when God will judge the world and punish the nations while preparing Israel for the return of its Messiah when he will establish his kingdom upon the earth. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, the prophet refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. There's a lot going on there. So following the rapture of the church, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we get to chapter 5, and it's talking about the day of the Lord, and there'll be a period, there'll be a period during this time of intense suffering, during what we refer to as the tribulation period. Now, obviously, I can't read every chapter, but if you want to read more about it in detail, go to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and you can see the tribulation in detail of what's going to take place. I included a couple of references for you. Um, I, didn't have, I didn't have space for you to put it all on there, so I want you to turn in your Old Testament, one of the last books of the Old Testament, to Zephaniah chapter number 1. I want to read to you prophetical description of the great day of the Lord. I know that's in the white, clean pages of your Bible. Zephaniah chapter 1. Not Zechariah, Zephaniah chapter 1. And I'm going to read verse 14. I want you to follow with me. 
prophet says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. A lot of people put their trust in their riches more than they, instead of putting their trust in God, their silver and gold. What Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He said, their silver and gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. He goes on, he says, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. It is a day unlike anything we've seen. And it's more than just a 24-hour day period. I don't want you to misunderstand that. Go to Isaiah chapter 2, one of the major prophets. You know where Isaiah is. Isaiah chapter 2. There's a, there's a number of references in the Bible. Joel has a lot. Obadiah number of verses in the Bible speaking of the day of the Lord. I'm just giving you a couple of them. Isaiah chapter 2, I want you to look with me in verse 10. We're going to read down to verse 22. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty. And upon every one that is lifted up, he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the oaks of Bashan, and upon the, all, the high, all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, upon every fence wall. And verse 16, upon the ships of Tarshish. And upon all pleasant pictures and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The idols he shall utterly abolish and they shall go into the holes of the rock and the caves of the earth. For fear of the Lord, for the glory of his majesty when he rises to shake terribly the earth. And that day a man shall cast his idols of silver, his idols of gold, when they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he rises to shake terribly the earth. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein he is to be accounted of. The Antichrist will usher in a false sense of peace and security on this world. He will set up his government. He will set up his currency. He will set up his religion. And all the while, he will release hell upon the earth. Paul writes, go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 in our text, verse 3. I want you to see here. He says, for when they shall say, peace and safety, peace and safety. The Antichrist 
has brought world peace. Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But look what he says in verse 4. But ye, brethren, Paul has something more for the believer. Understand this. Every person who does not put their faith in Jesus Christ will either die and go to hell or if they're alive when the church is called out will go through the tribulation period and a time where God's wrath is poured out upon this earth. That is why I begin the message tonight. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because I don't want anybody whether you're on live stream or in here tonight, to spend one more moment without knowing Jesus is your Savior. Read about God's wrath. Read Revelation 6 through 19. Read about that coming judgment. After that seven years, Jesus is going to come and there is going to be that battle of Armageddon there in the Jezreel Valley. And Jesus Christ himself is going to fight the armies of this world who will stand in opposition of him. He will set up his kingdom for a thousand years and at that time bind Satan from this earth, throwing him in the bottomless pit. After those thousand years, he will deliver up the dead, which is every person that died without Christ at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And at that time, every proud individual who says, I don't need Jesus, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good fellow just like I am. Every person who says, I don't like that preacher telling me that I'm going to go to hell. I don't think that preacher should be telling kids that they're going to die and go to hell. Every person who made some excuse in their pride and their know-it-all attitude will suddenly stand before God, naked before God, and they will be judged according to their works, according to their sin. Every child of God has his sin judged at Calvary. Every person without Christ will stand in judgment for his sin and will face the wrath of God. And will face the second death, Revelation 20, verse 15, and spend eternity in the lake of fire. Every person. Do you know for sure Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you repented of your sin and accepted Christ? Let's wrap up. He says, but ye, brethren. Remember in verse 11, he's comforting them. The day of the Lord is an awful time frame. It's an awful thing that goes on. Sudden destruction, travail. They shall not escape. They, notice the word, the pronouns, they shall not escape. 
He's writing to the brethren, ye, you, something different for you because you're saved. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. But all those who don't, they will suffer sudden destruction. He says, but verse 4, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. If you're keeping notes, Paul is teaching them to be ready. Be ready. The world is surprised. They are surprised by this because the world will not hear God's word nor heed to his warning. I give you Noah. Noah warned the world of a coming judgment. They had never seen it. They didn't know what rain was. They did not know anything about a flood. And so they rejected God's word. They rejected his warning. And only only Noah and his family, eight people, believed and were saved. The rest of the world perished. Lot discovered that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. He warned his family of this coming destruction, this coming judgment. They wouldn't listen. He talked to his son-in-laws. They wouldn't listen. They mocked him. They didn't believe him. He was getting out of town with his wife and his daughters. What did his wife do? He said, don't look back. His wife looked back, pillar her salt. She didn't believe the judgment. She knew better. Rather than listen to the words that judgment is coming, they continued with their daily activities and never considered it to be true. Oh, it's not true. I give you 2 Peter chapter 3, which speaks of scoffers concerning the Lord's coming. Peter writes, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, mockers. People who walk after their own lust and say, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And he says, For this they are willingly are ignorant of. I've heard Jesus is coming. When is it going to happen? Mockery. I don't believe it. I don't believe it, preacher. I don't believe the word of God. He that believeth shall have life. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. But Paul is saying here, he says, you don't dwell in such darkness. You're not blinded to the truth. You can see the truth. You are children of the light, he says. So he encourages us to be ready. And then he wants us to be alert. Verse 6. Be alert. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, he says. That's to be alert. Have a right mind. Any person who's drunken loses their senses. They're not in their right mind. Be sober. You're thinking clearly. For they that sleep, sleep in the night... They that be drunken are drunken in the night. 
But let us who are of the day be sober, be alert, be ready. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's the whole armor of God. Faith, love, and hope. He says in verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. Aren't you glad? Now does verse 9, let's read verse 9 together again. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. The tribulation will happen. The wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth and upon every person who rejects Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You will face that hopeless without God. But to the believer, we're not appointed to wrath. We don't see God's wrath. We obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called out of here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, before all that gets here. Can I get an amen? We're called out before all that gets here. We receive that new and glorious body, and we're ever in the presence of the Lord. He wraps it up, verse 10, speaking of Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we are alive or we're dead, we should live together with him. So he says, verse 11, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. You want to be encouraged? You are on the winning side if you know Jesus Christ. And I like to win, don't you? Amen. Escape God's wrath. What a blessing. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I pray. I pray for the power of your word tonight.